He struts like John Wayne, resembles Jim Carrey, and dresses like he's visually impaired. Because he is Insight. Insight with Mark Farrell on the Progressive Radio Network. Network. Ah, yes. What a gorgeous day it is in New York City today. No snow in sight, only the smell and appearance of spring. Ah, isn't that great? I'm so sorry for all my friends on the West Coast. (laughs) I couldn't believe how L.A. got snow the other week. Unbelievable. Even though, in my eyes, it's been snowing for decades and decades in L.A. Yes, just ask Robert Downey Jr. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Hey, it's Insight. (laughs) My name is Mark Farrell. How the hell are you? we got a great show coming your way. You're going to meet Malin Chavez. She is a fire starter, man. She is a trailblazer. She is making things happen. She is a person who's making concerts accessible for me, you, and everybody else. Meet Malin in a few minutes. Talk about the Oscars coming up this weekend, spring. And uh, I'm going to start with something that I wouldn't typically not discuss on the air. I want to talk about meetings, corporate meetings. It's amazing how much time uh, I just think is terribly wasted. There is a company I do some work for that every day, Monday through Friday, there is a 45-minute, at least 45-minute meeting every day by the directors, for the directors rather, and everyone goes around via Zoom and says what they're doing for the day. I'm like, are you kidding me? Is this kindergarten? Like these people have to be led and their feet held to the fire to do their job? If they can't be accountable to do their job, why are they in this role? I mean, that is just preposterous, right? Every day, five days a week, I was a guest in a meeting the other day and I'm like, are you kidding me? Why would they have to do this? This is just an extraordinary waste of time. I could understand a daily email to the executive director or the manager in charge or the person who oversees the directors, whatever that title would be. Possibly, yeah. Or maybe once a week, you know, a roundtable discussion. Okay, here's what I'm working on. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Jane and Mary, how are you coming along in this area? But every day for 50 minutes, this is just emblematic, I think, of corporate America. How things just, the bureaucracy and how things move so slowly that they can't even get out of their own damn way. <laughs> Wouldn't that, that would drive me nuts. I could not exist in a culture like that. Hence why I'm in radio. Hence why I have my own business and more because things just like that just are nonsensical to me. An extraordinary waste of time. Are you with me? I Believe me, I understand communication is paramount. The left hand needs to know what the right hand's doing and more. But wasting that amount of time is just kind of silly. Or if you need to give your point of view or an update to the team, then you can move on, jump off the meeting. But to do this, you know, on and on, oh, my Lord. Oscar fever. Are you excited? Well, I'm, you know, I'm excited because I'm on the air this weekend at a rock station. And so I will be making endless fun of the nominees and, uh, of course, the slap heard around the world last year, Will Smith. Did you catch Chris Rock's special live on Netflix last Saturday? I thought it was pretty good. 
I didn't think it was excellent. I don't think it was Chris Rock at his best. And maybe that's because he hasn't been performing a lot since the pandemic. I thought his material was pretty good. But I think below the standard Chris Rock, really edgy, funny, gut-wrenching material that he usually delivers. Even some of his deliveries in general, his style, his mannerisms were just, I don't know, a little bit off. As a matter of fact, one of his jokes uh, in terms of the the big slap with Will Smith was he botched. And it's no big deal. He kind of walked it back and said, oh, I just effed up that joke. (laughs) But when you are live in front of the world on Netflix, that is just inexcusable. I mean, you can't. You got to have your AAAA plus, plus, plus game on, man. So I'm just kind of... Um, disappointed in that. But anyway, it's it's definitely a, a worthwhile view. Hey, any levity in life is a good thing, right? So I definitely recommend you checking it out because he did a good job. He didn't just do a, a bang-up, great Chris Rock job. And uh, that's what I was looking for. That's what I miss, man. That's what I was hoping would really, really come. You know, it's funny because sometimes when I'm commuting to work, um... I will put on Facebook, or not put on Facebook, I will check out Facebook, and I'm inundated because this is what I started looking at, like how-to videos. I love carpentry and repairs, so I get like all these great videos on tools, recommendations on how to use certain things, and some of them are really, really useful. I do the same thing for workouts. Um, I, I, again, in both areas, I kind of, you know, I'm pretty professed. I'm pretty proficient in both areas, but there's always somebody doing something new, something different, and something really clever. But once in a while, I get, you know, like these goofy little videos. Of course, they're trying to get me to watch more and more videos to stay on, and so they'll throw in some comedians. Some of them I've never heard of, but some of them are really, really damn funny, man. Um, And the material is just kind of priceless. So if you need a joke, I don't know, go on YouTube, you know, Check it out because there are some really, really good up and coming or some comedians that are, you know, up there. You just don't really know their name or their material. Uh, and it's very, very cool. Speaking of uh, material and performances, there's so many great acts that are going to be on the roads this summer. Are you into seeing live music? I am totally into live music. I think uh, I'm going to go see Killers this year, the summer, Sting. Um, who else? Pretenders. Who else am I interested in seeing? The Beach Boys. I've never seen the Beach Boys. I don't have the greatest expectations because what? There's only one person left from the original band, Brian Wilson. Uh, but anyway, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing them. And there's a whole host of bands I just can't think of right now. But in terms of like classic rock, if you're into that genre. Do yourself a favor and go out and see the Joan Jets of the world because they're still out there. Billy Idol, Billy Joel, the Stones. Uh, the Foo Fighters, of course, aren't that old, but Dave Grohl, yeah, I mean, that guy just really kicks some ass. I mean, he's kind of the scream singer, but if you're into it, I like the Foos. Uh, they can get kind of monotonous for me, though, uh, but my son is 13-year-old. He's a drummer, so I'm always turning him on to new music. Like, can you believe it's the 50th anniversary of Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd? That is one of the most, still to this day, one of the most innovative albums ever, ever created and recorded. 
And you have to do yourself a favor, not a disservice. You have to listen to the album straight through with headphones on or in a car with no interruptions, no talking. It is just incredible. And on that note, I was, where was I? I was in Ireland and I was leaving, ending my vacation and I was going to the airport and I'm in this taxi cab and I hear, I forget which tune it was off Dark Side, Eclipse, I'm not sure. And I'm like, what? This isn't Floyd, but it is Pink Floyd. It was an entire, entire album of Dark Side of the Moon done in reggae. Yeah, it's called the Dub D-U-B Side of the Moon. And at first I was like, whoa, this is weird. Oh, no, this is really cool. I dig this. I really, really dig this. So um, I, if you're into Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, I, and if you're into reggae, I highly, highly recommend this. I think it came out in like maybe 09. Yeah, 09 or 2011, something like that. Dub Side of the Moon. Anyway, hey, listen, let's jump into my conversation with Malin. Malin is phenomenal. I met her through a mutual friend, uh, Wendy Crawford, who is an incredible person and woman who has uh, appeared on the show once before. And I'm happy to say she's a dear friend of mine. And that's one of the great things about communicating to people in this world um, that I invite to come onto the show to extend information to you, whether it's information, it's entertainment, it's infotainment. God, I hate that word. But Malin is just terrific. She's young and she is driven. And this is her story. And I apologize about the quality because sometimes Zoom interviews aren't the best. And unfortunately, that's the situation right here. Malin, welcome to the show. How are you from Miami? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here. You are a breath of sunshine, and that's actually one of your initiatives in life, right? To spread sunshine. Absolutely. What a great initiative. <laughs> and you're doing it in the forms of creating advocacy, inclusiveness, in all its forms. So I congratulate you for being a trailblazer. Thank you so much. What is it in your soul that makes you want to create opportunity for other people? Well, for me, it's just really about everyone being able to experience the same things because I really feel so deeply that we're all just humans existing on the same planet, on the same experience and if we don't involve everybody we're doing an incredible disservice to everyone so I'm just really passionate about inclusivity and that's why I advocate for it all the time. How important was it for you to become Miss Wheelchair in general but obviously you won the title in 2016 Miss Wheelchair Southeastern. How important was it for you to radiate who you are in the chair, out of the chair, and what possibilities are for people everywhere? Um, it was really a special moment for me um, because I've never seen anybody like be any kind of pageant title holder, you know, that was disabled or that looked like me. So it was really significant um, to do that, not only for me, but for my community because there's so many 
little girls coming up, you know, next generation that they deserve to see that. They deserve to see representation and the things that they are surrounded by, you know, and culture and society. So um, that was really important to me. And I'm really happy I was able to do that. Did that give you further confidence as a person who is a a pillar of society where you are and certainly and online? And we're going to get to obviously more initiatives that you're behind. But did it give you more credibility, do you feel? I know it's a title and uh, maybe you're not into as a, a graduate with psychology major. Uh, you're very cerebral. Of course, you like the the honest things and the simple things in life from what I gather. But did it make you feel like you have more of a title that allows people to say, wow, look what she's doing. And if she can do that, I too can strive to uh, be someone who either attains their personal goals or to help other people attain theirs. For sure. You know, like it's a national pageant and there are so many other capable and talented and beautiful women participating also. So it just kind of gave me that little push, that little encouragement to continue yeah. in my journey, I guess, and my advocacy journey to keep moving forward and keep doing what I like to do, which is just tell people like, it's really simple. You just need yeah. to be inclusive. Like that's all it's really about. And so that was like a really big stepping stone. And so now I do a lot of work with Curasume, which I'm super happy about. That's like one of my favorite things. And it's really fulfilling, like helping others out with the same condition that I have to do like all the things that I do as well, because I feel like we're so stuck in this kind of stigma and this kind of like um, predisposition that, you know, disabled people can't do something, whatever it may be, there's like limitations on it. And that's obviously not true whatsoever. Absolutely. I mean, I echo everything that you say. And uh, even adding one more thing to that, is the things that you love to do, you have to throw music in there as well. Because for sure. music, define what music does for you or share what music does for you, Malin. Uh, music is therapeutic. It's universal. It's uplifting. It's healing. It's so many things for me personally. And there's just a song out there for every emotion you could possibly be going through at any moment in time and I really think that's beautiful that not only do compositions exist but lyrics exist that that are just perfect for for any kind of situation any kind of circumstance and I think that's like really valuable to me um music always has been able to get me by any kind of tough moment or any kind of nice moment too mm. it can be very isolating especially when you're listening to it on your own, in your house, kitchen, earbuds, car. But then there's another magical beauty to it is when you're in the presence of a crowd, a massive crowd, a concert crowd, and then it's euphoria. It's the magic of live music from acoustical energy becoming electrical energy that becomes you know, this magical source that's wafting through the air that we all get to experience. There's an auditory experience or the 
lived and shared experience of everyone being there together. And then there's the experience that sometimes is limiting, accessibility. Tell me your mm -hmm. thoughts about that, Malin. <laughs> um, accessibility and live music, live Correct. entertainment is so spotty at best. Um, at it really best. depends. <laughs> it really depends on the venue. It depends on the day. It depends on <laughs> so many factors that it's a little bit ridiculous that it's not more uh, uniform and more like solidified. Mm. And anytime I go to a concert, it really is just like, pulling a card out from the deck you don't really know what you're gonna get <laughs> yeah Malin, was there one particular time that you're at a show that you said enough is enough i need to do something about this because i don't want to live in or experience a concert in what feels like a cage nor should other people with disabilities <laughs> for sure um the circumstance i always love to reference um was 2019 and Fort Lauderdale Beach, there's a festival called Odyssey Beach Festival. Before it was called Riptide, now it's Odyssey. And it was like a big alternative music concert on the beach, like very Floridian of us. <laughs> um, it was supposed to be awesome. And I was really excited for it because the Killers were going to headline. And that's absolutely one of my favorite bands. And so I thought, like, it would be great. I won tickets and everything, and I was really excited. Um, in the back of my mind, I always had, like, the doubt, like, oh, it's on the beach. Maybe that's not the greatest idea for accessibility. <laughs> but the website swore through and through that it was going to be accessible for wheelchairs and it was going to be ADA compliant and all these things. And then... When the evening arrives for uh, the killers to perform finally, um, they only had about like two separate um, ADA sections that were over the stand, like one for each stage. So they were on the main stage and that platform, that ADA section was quite frankly, really far behind. Maybe not so much the distance was an issue, but the platform was located directly behind a tree. <laughs> Great vantage so, point. Yeah, it was obscuring the view at least 50 to 60%. Oh my lord. Um, And then you have the issue of like so many people being in this section that really shouldn't be there like it was so disorganized so badly placed and i was just like you know what this is really enough <laughs> unacceptable right yeah this is too much <laughs> well hopefully you got to at least enjoy the music without seeing brandon flowers in his his full form mm -hmm. so was that the genesis for you to begin front row accessible a nonprofit to promote inclusion and accessibility in the entertainment uh, industry? A hundred percent. It was really inspired by that one occasion just because I couldn't see Brandon Flowers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what other inspiration do you need in life, right? Uh -huh. so it's funny, right, Malin? It's it's we we are probably driven more by negative experiences in life than by positive. Because if you would have left there and they would have had, you know, 
uh, great rampage, great, I forget what the mats are called that are actually on the beaches that allow you access to whatever section you're in and everything was really just the way it should be. And that's up for discussion as well. But then maybe that wouldn't have happened or it would have happened at a later date. So the silver lining is, look what you're doing. You created front row accessible, you know, and, and that's a huge thing. I mean, obviously mm. we're going to get into more of what your initiative is and how you're chipping away at this. But I mean, this is a major, major monster industry. Live Nation, Ticketmaster, which in my estimation should have never been allowed to happen. Um, they are mm -hmm. a major, major monopoly in the industry. And accessibility is not something they address. As a person who's visually impaired, um, there was one venue near me called, used to be called the Garden State Art Center. Now it's course branded PNC Art Center, owned by a bank, an outside amphitheater. And um, they were very accommodating years back, but now no more. Um, so I'm well. going to shows and I just go for the auditory experience. And of course, the camaraderie of being around, you know, thousands of people who, like me, are enjoying that live music. But, you know, that's a shortcoming because, you know, we pay good money for tickets. So you want the full experience, let alone it's mm -hmm. your right. Yeah, absolutely. It's your right as as a participant in that, like, economy of buying a ticket. It's really that simple. So tell me about how you're creating change, Malin. Well, it requires a lot of work, obviously. It requires a lot of steps, but I'm beginning from the ground up and just really trying to communicate and connect with my peers in the community and just see, like researching what it is that they need, what it is that they want, um, what kind of accommodations have they seen that are good? What kind of accommodations have they seen that are bad? And then just trying to create like a uniform kind of document that I can send out to all sorts of venues all over the place with recommendations about what they should do and what they need to be doing um, in order to accommodate all sorts of people in their venues, not just concerts, but theater, sports, whatever the case may be, all of those um, venues need to be more accommodating of mm -hmm. uh, all their guests. And would it be nice if someone with a disability, uh, for example, say someone like yourself in a wheelchair, could have possible choices of where they would like to experience the concert? Not everybody wants to be smack dab in the front, and certainly not everybody can because of logistical and, and uh, dimensional limitations. But wouldn't it be nice if you at least had options and areas that were either easily accessible, near or closer to the stage, and they typically are, and with great egress in case there was an emergency, whether mm -hmm. it's someone in a wheelchair, visual impairment, uh, hearing impaired, so they can see possibly someone who is signing on stage, another, advocacy aspect I'm sure you're vying for or mm -hmm. someone with multiple disabilities. Um, I just feel that, you know, they're just, there's so much disconnection. And sometimes, I, you know, as someone who is right there feeling the same thing with most people with a disability at a concert, you know, you just feel like you're a bit detached. I've become used to it because I've, you know, seen so many concerts. This is my industry 
working in music radio and talk radio, I just go, yeah, well, how did it look? Oh, uh, well, you know, I watched a screen through my monocular the whole time. It's <laughs> fine because I've learned to adapt. But mm -hmm. life is about adapting, but also not accepting things that are less than tolerable and or what laws really should restrict or allow. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And it's just something that I feel like the concert industry just kind of takes advantage of. They're just kind of like, um, yeah, we gave you this section and you should be happy with that. <laughs> so you're 28 years old. Uh, you hail from Cuba. You are a trailblazer. There's no doubt that I cannot see you aspiring and being very successful and getting accessible venues, even if just in your backyard. And that's a great thing. If one person live is changed by the impact of live music because of something you initiated that uh, one of your promoters acquiesced to in Florida, that is a win-win. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, that's the dream because I enjoy going to concerts so much. If I can make it a little bit easier for someone else to attend a concert as well, like that's enough for me. <laughs> that would make me so happy. Absolutely. So you have spinal muscular atrophy mm -hmm. and there are so many different people. There are 20% of the population with disabilities. It would behoove the live nations of the world, the ticket masters of the world to say, wow, you know what? Not only should we do the right thing, we could make more money if we do the right thing. Exactly. That's what I've been saying. Because like the Malins, <laughs> the Mark Farrells, all my friends, all your friends, and all mm -hmm. the people whose lives we touch in the uh, disability community, you know, would thrive. And, um, you know, it's we, we can't kid ourselves. As much as uh, Brandon Flowers loves performing, as much as we love to see him perform, <laughs> um, it's a business. It's a mm. mega business. I mean, think about, you know, years ago, I mean, tractor trailers used to be like for Leonard Skinner. It'd be one trailer. And then it was two tractors. There was three tractor trailers. And then they had to have almost like a stadium to rehearse in. And then when you get a band like The Killers, then it's the video production and Coldplay. I mean, he's these phenomenal concerts are mind blowing, but the mm. costs, the backline costs are mind blowing even more. So the promoters and the live nations of the world, you know, have really excessively gone way overboard in terms of the ticket prices. And it would be yeah. one thing to pay a price, a premium to get the seat, not only that you want, that you need, but that's not the case. Mm. So you're doing something about this. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's so many factors that go into accessible seating and, and entertainment that, and like pricing is definitely one of them. Like, not only do they charge ridiculous out of pocket, like fees and expenses and everything, but a lot of times you can't even secure that seat to begin with because there um there really isn't a good verification process and i know that can get a little tricky so i'm trying to figure out how to navigate that but so many times like ada seating is sold to people that that are able-bodied and like 
that causes conflict a lot of times because then you have to end up going to like guest services and they have to shuffle everyone around and it just adds so much work to like a normal everyday experience like going to the concert and it's just really so unnecessary when you have to add in other things like transportation affordability um ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. like caregiving who's gonna accompany you you know it's so so many things i think people don't even notice or people like think about and it's really something that's taken for granted because for you you know like a normal person average person quote unquote they can just show up to the show but for us we have to plan 10 steps ahead in order to get there (laughs) you know i never thought about this mylan until right now uh Mm -hmm. when you have accessible seating is there early entrance time? No, <laughs> absolutely so. not. <laughs> so that would be a component that's pretty vital because as a wheelchair user, you don't want to go in there. Possibly you don't want to go in there when the gates open and when throngs of people are coming in. If you had a 30 minute head start, even a 15 minute head start, that would be key. Exactly. Like in school, at least they allow you when you have that, you know, in your education plan and your IEP, a lot of times if you have a mobile disability or whatever, they will allow you like to leave early and to also arrive late if it's, you know, possible, you know, but it's a, and it's an accommodation that's there if you need it. So you can avoid the crowds, avoid the hustle and just get there on time without like having to deal with thousands of people on the way. And I really think that should be like applied to concerts as well. It's just kind of a common sense thing to, to let sure. people with like mobility issues get there first. <laughs> It's almost like we need the person who's the top dogs and Ticketmaster and Live Nation to be temporarily disabled mm-hmm. in a chair. So they can go there. They probably wouldn't. But if they were inclined to go to one of their concerts, they'd see, wow, this is this is a giant hurdle or lots of hurdles to maneuver. Mm-hmm. And they just they need people um, with that perspective and then even within that with all different kinds of disabilities because every person with a different kind of disability is going to need something different from me or from you or from the next person so you just need like a really like diverse aspect in that as well because you need to be able to fit in everyone, not just like your standard definition or viewpoint of a disabled person, which may or may not apply to to everyone attending that show. Absolutely. And why not, if they are lost, obviously they can afford to have a uh, for-profit company come aboard, an advisory company to kind of implement what would be the best practices and what would be a no-brainer is to solicit people in the disabled community to form a coalition and say, listen, help us become more accessible. I mean, mm-hmm. it, there would be no shortage of hands, right? Absolutely. It would be I, great I branding for them. Again, it yep. would be uh, financially, it would be a great incentive for them to do that because again, the older the baby boomers get, I mean, there's still a lot of concerts. I mean, the concert industry is not back yet. People think it's back. It's it's back like 60%. Uh, 
So we're, mm -hmm. we're not even getting the full-fledged effect of what it's like to experience concerts wholeheartedly again. I mean, we're so happy to have, you know, a lot of concerts back, but, you know, their industry is very much down. Like a lot of industries, they're very much hurting. But what a great concept it would be for them to tap into people who have been denied access than to help plan and design accessible venues and or policies that they can mm -hmm. almost blanket institute on venues nationally. Exactly, exactly. I think a huge issue with like accessibility and all these um, entertainment venues is just the fact that not only do they have, they don't have the perspective, but they also don't comply or enforce Correct, a yeah. lot of ADA laws that are there. They already exist, but if they're not enforced, it's simply not going to happen in that you know, venue, it might be a multi-billion dollar venue, but if no one, like, said, hey, you have to do this, it's the law, then it's not gonna be there, and I really think that's, like, part of the problem as well, there isn't anyone enforcing, because it's just kind of, like, on the back burner for, for people that are investing and building these places um so definitely i think it would be a great benefit if like Ticketmaster of my nation had a committee at least like an inclusivity committee advisory board sure mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i know plenty of people <laughs> maylin do you have any political connections ron DeSantis? No. <laughs> no because it would also be great if we had some political gusto behind this because you know as much as we can make fun of politicians um, if it's going to make them look good, I know, and the disabled community can benefit from it, why not, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So maybe that's an you can tackle along the long list that you already have, Malin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. Well, I know you're very busy. You're a board member and representative for Cure SMA. Tell me about your role about that quickly. Well, it's um, a position that I've had for a couple of years now, and I'm super honored and I'm super proud to be a part of the chapter board for South Florida. Um, I help out with organizing fundraisers. Right now we have the Walk and Roll coming up in March, and that's a big event for us. But otherwise, I do a lot of work um, with QSMA uh, locally to do events for adults with SMA, um, because I feel like maybe a lot of times are kind of ignored or like sure. looked over because so many of like our activities are family centered, which is wonderful, of course, but adults need their, their own time too to like connect with other adults and do things that they would enjoy, um, you know, in our stage of life which is just like going out and hanging out and meeting other people. So I organize a lot of events for them. And I have a Valentine's Day party and get together for us coming up. On I'm coming 11. down, Maven. Awesome. I'm coming down. <laughs> How prevalent is SMA? Um, um, SMA affects every one in 11,000 newborn babies. Wow. So it's, uh, everyone says it's a rare disease, but for me, every time I show up to conference, national conference every year, and I see thousands of us there, I don't feel like it's a rare disease. I feel like we're a very prevalent and passionate community about 
SMA. So it's something I'm really excited to be a part of because before 2017, which is my first time going to conference, I never even met anybody with SMA. So being involved in the community has been really life-changing for me. Was one of the reasons why you wanted to pursue a career and or a degree in psychology was to better understand the population in which we inhabit this great planet with uh, mm -hmm. regarding disability mindsets and how fascinating human behavior is? For sure. Um, that's one of the reasons why I got involved and primarily because I felt like growing up, um, seeing a few different uh, circumstances that happened to me in my life. I felt like mental health was such an ignored subject, um, mm. so often overlooked, and I would just look at certain situations and be like, you know, this wouldn't have happened if um, mental health was more talked about and more advocated on. So that's really why I went to school for psychology, because I wanted to to not only understand it um, clinically, medically, but also because I wanted to advocate for it um, because I feel like it's so important in our community, um, in school, in work, in social life, in every component of life that we can even think of. Like if we were a little bit more mindful and a little bit more invested in, in applying resources to mental health, everyone would be so much better off and so much happier. Absolutely. You know, I, I thought it was going to be a huge wake-up call for the world. And to a small degree, it certainly has been surviving and undergoing the pandemic and how people would be much more attentive to their mental health and how the world would be a kinder, gentler. I, I can't see you, but I'm sure you're probably shaking your head going, yeah, I thought so as well. <laughs> and I do see improvements. And I, I certainly, we all see the the overwhelming need for mental health clinicians. But I still see so many people struggling who are not being honest with themselves and not seeking help. So I hope that uh, two things, people have a better understanding what it's like to be limited in a lifestyle because for a very, very short period of time, a blink of an eye, they mm -hmm. felt what it's like for people with disabilities to be denied access when people couldn't go to the restaurants, when people couldn't go to the movie theaters, people couldn't live in general public when most businesses were closed. That was just a snapshot of what it's like for a person with a disability potentially. And secondly, again, the mental health component, how vital it is, regardless whether you have a disability or not. I say that everybody has a disability, whether it's real or imagined, but we all need to be able to share and to dump and to get clarification on our thoughts our, our concerns, our fears, uh, things that excite us. I mean, there's nothing better than uh, speaking with someone who is in a neutral zone, a uh, sounding board to give uh, validity or not to um, something that you may be struggling with because we all are in different points of our lives where we're struggling uh, with something to some capacity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's for sure. And I think that's something that should be like unifying us, not separating us. 1000%. Front row accessible. How can we get in touch with you? How can people learn more? How can people help? 
Um, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, just Front Row Accessible. Also, I have an email that I love to accept stories on, stories and pictures. Um, if you've had a good concert experience or a bad concert experience, I'd love to hear about it. You can reach out to me. I love to share it and I love to talk about it and just kind of connect on, you know, what kind of what kind of improvements need to be made and uh, hopefully make some significant change to things like that in the future. Maylin, please feel free to share your email. Sure. It's frontrowaccessible at gmail.com. Frontrowaccessible at gmail.com. Maylin Chavez, thank you so much for turning your passion of loving music and Brandon Flowers Matchbox 20. <laughs> <laughs> Solo boy. And <laughs> all the above to fuel opportunity, accessibility, inclusion for the rest of us. Thank you so very much. It's my honor. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Maylin Chavez. I think she's going to be doing some great things. And um, as I mentioned during the interview, the Shine Music Festival, which I am a big time part of because... Sean Satterfield, who also appeared on the show here, speaking about friends who, uh, guests who appeared on the show and became friends. She's a dear friend of mine as well. And um, this is something that she's really, really, oh man, beyond driven for. It's the annual music festival, day-long music festival in Denver, Colorado each year. This will be the third anniversary this August in Denver. And she just does an incredible, incredible job. And she is hooking up with the Ticketmasters of the world. And it would really behoove them to get on board to say, you know what? Maybe we should embrace someone like the Shine Music Festival, someone like Malin Chavez, because you know what? Not only is it the right thing to do, provide accessibility and accommodation, a right of way for a person with disability, but you know what? We're going to make some money too. <laughs> right? It's a no-brainer for the big corporate conglomerate machines, man. <laughs> so um, it's a win-win. I'm really looking forward to this aspect of concert going, entertainment industry, expanding accessibility, not just setting people off far off in a venue, isolating them. No, Get people in there. Give them a 30-minute, maybe 45-minute window option to get to their seat early or to access a venue early. Give them a, I don't know, multiple spots to choose from because if someone's hearing impaired, they want to be able to see the stage close enough to see the person signing. Hopefully there is someone uh, there as an interpreter that's being secured by the venue or the act. Like Coldplay, Chris Martin does an incredible job of having the interpreter not off to the far left and far right of the stage because then you can't enjoy the show if you're hearing hearing impaired or deaf. Then you can't watch Chris Martin. So Chris Martin, thankfully and smartly, has the interpreter very close to the band. But that would be a great thing. So many different, you know, nonsensical or things that make complete sense to us need to be done in the entertainment industry. And I, I really applaud... Uh, Malin Chavez, I applaud Sean Satterfield and, and you for anything that you're doing. I will let you in on something that I'm uh, working on. I'm actually, uh, I've been hired by a company 
to teach students how to create podcasts. This is really, really cool. And I'll tell you more about this down the road. And it's going well. It's a 10-week program. We are four weeks into it. And they're pretty astute. I mean, teenagers nowadays, technology-wise, this is like, you know, second skin, man. Like, no, no, like, delay. They're just like, boom, boom, so on it um, that <laughs> they just immediately grasp to the concept. But you know what? I had an idea. I said to myself, it would be great, yes, that I'm teaching these able-bodied kids how to do podcasting, and hopefully they'll be interested into um, in major broadcasting career or a multimedia, something of that capacity or caliber. But how about instruct a person with a disability? They could be hearing impaired, deaf, blind, multiple disabilities. So I approached a New Jersey Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired about having a consumer. A consumer is somebody that they represent uh, for services that I could work with to give them this opportunity to create a podcast. And I think this would be, I mean, I was thinking if I was in high school and I had this opportunity, oh man, I would have done backflips. Of course, the internet didn't exist when I was in high school. Um, just starting, I guess. But it was it's something that I'm really, really uh, working on feverishly. And I think it's going to happen. I think there's some grant money that's going to be earmarked. But if you'd like to donate uh, money to make this program happy, just reach out to me, Mark at MarkFarrellMotivation.com. Mark at MarkFarrellMotivation.com. And I'll keep you abreast of uh, the progress and tell you more about this program that I started. Um, it's very, very exciting. And um, it's going to be very enriching for those four students. I want to share with you a talk I gave the other day at 4-H. 4-H is an incredible organization, a national organization. It does just invaluable good education-wise for youth. I mean, anything from equine to carpentry to the solar system, I think there are clubs of almost every caliber um, in existence. And it's such a nurturing environment. And I've given talks for the national or corporate aspect of 4-H. But the other day I spoke to a local um, branch of 4-H, which was my daughter's 4-H barn. And there was about, oh, I don't know, 20 or so kids there. And preparing for this talk, I realized that the majority of the kids in this particular 4-H barn in the equine program are homeschooled. And so a lot of the times when I give examples of struggle, persistence, triumph, etc., it's based on school experiences because why not? Because they're not out there working uh, to establish resilience. They're not in the workplace because they're too darn young. They're in school. So I immediately thought about, wow, this is kind of a tricky thing for me to approach because they have a totally different life experience. So I was wondering what your take is on homeschool. Initially, I thought, wow, what a kind of, hmm, encapsulating way, engrossing way for family to grow together, learn together, to nurture each other. But then I said, no, that's not good because the reality is, yes, first of all, what parent can teach everything as good or better than a teacher? Yes, I'm sure they have a lot of skin in the game and they're very invested in it. But the reality is it's tough to teach any subject, especially to your own child. And the other major, major component is the socialization aspect. Not being in school with other kids from other walks of life that don't look like you, 
don't sound like you, don't talk like you, don't eat the same food as you, that is an invaluable experience they are not receiving. So I think it's, it's very, very tough for me to swallow the homeschool. Hey, listen, if it's a little house on the prairie and you're 10 miles from school, the one little schoolhouse, and you have to walk there, yeah, I get it. <laughs> you know, homeschool your kids so they can go out there and split logs and uh, go kill buffalo so they can feed the family for a week. But otherwise, in this day and age, I just don't see it. Maybe it can be augmented if that exists in certain states and districts that you can piecemeal a, a school education. But uh, homeschooling, I just don't see it. I'm sure there are some scenarios that it works very, very well. But I see these kids in 4-H that um, are very shy. They don't have a lot of confidence. As a matter of fact, my talk was on the topic of confidence. That was the theme, confidence building. And I spoke for 40 minutes and gave them all these different examples of how in life you don't have experience in something. But if you have purpose and passion, that'll be the driving force for you to do something. And therefore, you acquire or do your goal, accomplish your goal, and therefore you get a confidence. Therefore, you get confidence, <laughs> right? It's pretty simple when you think about it. But when you overthink about, oh, geez, I don't have the experience in that area, then you talk yourself out of a possibly doing something or moving forward in the proper steps. So confidence is a tricky thing if you overanalyze it. But most of us just propel ourselves forward in life. And as you get older, you get more and more confidence, more experience, or maybe you just don't give a damn. <laughs> anyway, it was a good talk. Not as much fun as I have when I speak to you guys. Thanks so much for dropping in here every every Thursday at 11 a.m. Gary Knowles next, my friends. Gary has a great show planned for you. What exactly? I do not know, but I know it is rich in content because Gary is just a man rich with life and zeal and knowledge. My name is Mark Farrell, my friends. Do have yourself a great Thursday. Keep living and laughing. Let's do it again real soon. Insight with Mark Farrell. Check out this and all Insight shows on the Insight page at prn.fm. prn.fm. Have Mark speak at your company, your kid's school or college. Mark speaks on critical topics that affect kids and adults everywhere, from anti-bullying, mental health, drugs and alcohol, to overcoming adversity. Visit markfarrellmotivation.com for more info. Insight, Thursday mornings at 11 on the Progressive Radio Network. Network.